This is the ERP Advisor. Today's episode, how working from home changed ERP security forever. us for today's webinar, How Working From Home Changed ERP Security Forever. Sean Wendell is one of our speakers for today. Sean is the founder and managing principal of ERP Advisors Group based in Denver, Colorado. Sean has over 20 years of experience in the enterprise software industry, helping hundreds of clients across many industries with selecting and implementing a wide variety of enterprise solutions. His podcast, The ERP Advisor, has dozens of episodes with thousands of downloads and is featured on prominent podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. James McQuiggan is our special guest today. James is a 20-year security veteran and security awareness advocate for Know Before, as well as a part-time faculty professor at Valencia College. James has achieved many certifications, identifying him as an expert in the fields of cybersecurity and security awareness. James previously worked as a product and solution security officer, information security analyst, and network security engineer for Siemens, where he consulted and supported various corporate divisions on cybersecurity standards, information security, awareness, and securing product networks. On today's call, we will discuss proven processes a company can use to fortify its ERP defenses. Welcome, Sean and James. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here. Yeah. So with October being Cybersecurity Month and with so many of us working from home these days, we thought it timely to focus uh, specifically on ERP um, uh, security for businesses and how to protect against threats of so many kinds. Um, With that, diving right in, James, (laughs) you have such a rich history as a cybersecurity expert. Um, Can you give us a brief overview of what cybersecurity is and what the current cybersecurity landscape looks like for enterprise software? Sure. No, excited to be here and glad to be back uh, talking to everybody again about one of the things I thoroughly enjoy talking about, and of course, cybersecurity, information security, and, and risk management. And um, essentially, cybersecurity, when you look at any kind of security, whether it's a physical security, a cybersecurity, you know, whatever other kinds of security that there be out there, it's all about managing and reducing risk. You know, when we think about our homes, you know, if we heard that there were burglaries going on in the neighborhood, we might think of, you know, we figure out how they do it, breaking in through windows. We might install or set up our monitoring system. We might have uh, motion sensor uh, cameras, lights, uh, maybe even a beware of dog sign in, at the front window. But we do all of these things so we can keep the bad guys, the burglars out of the house and reduce our risk of being burglared. Burglared? Burglarized. There we go. Uh, when it comes to cybersecurity, same concepts and principles apply. We want to reduce the risk of our organization being attacked by cyber criminals that are out there. And they're doing it through a lot of different ways. Uh, Mainly, currently, the big hitters right now are ransomware attacks, business email compromise, um, phishing attacks. And all of that is stemming from uh, a majority of the attacks are stemming from social engineering attacks against the employees of organizations or people just in general on their own personal devices. 
the other ways we're getting in is because systems, uh, external facing systems may not be fully patched. They may not be updated. Either they just hadn't gotten to it yet, or they didn't know that system was connected to the internet and connected to their network. And the cyber criminals are always on the lookout looking for uh, when systems or when organizations release updates. So when you know, this week was Microsoft Patch Tuesday. So Tuesday, Microsoft released all the patches that they had relating to any new vulnerabilities. Well, the cyber criminals are sitting in the wings. They're now looking at those and either uh, using free programs that are already online and using those to scan organizations to see if they've updated their systems. And if they haven't, then they go ahead and launch the attack to try and gain access into uh, those organizations' infrastructure and systems and so forth. And once they get inside, then they're either looking to launch ransomware attacks, they're looking to steal information, intellectual property, databases of client information, employee information, anything strategy related. And they're looking to do all that. And if they end up encrypting all the data, then we deal with ransomware. And not only do they make your data unavailable, but now they're also charging you to get it decrypted or for them to delete it because the cyber criminals have, have stolen a lot of that data, keeping it on the dark web and are going to release it unless you pay them. They've even taken it a step further. They're always evolving and they're taking it a step further where they are now going after the clients or your customers or your own employees saying, hey, look, we've got all this personal data about you. If you pay us $300, $500, $1,000, we'll delete it. And we won't post that as part of the uh, online, the, the release of data. Essentially, cyber criminals are in it to do one thing, make money. It's like, why did bank robbers rob banks? Because that's where the money is. And cyber criminals know that they can get into organizations through social engineering attacks, through uh, unpatched or uh, unupdated systems and gain access and get in there and uh, leverage and look at stealing all the data from, from those sites. So a lot of organizations are dealing with change management and the patching of the, the software and the updates. They're dealing with identity access and management control. They're dealing with having to monitor the networks as well on top of making sure that their users aren't clicking on any weird and strange links and letting the bad guys in. My gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That was the short version. I can do that in 45 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can only imagine. Hopefully, I haven't scared too many people off, but um, <laughs> check, please. Yeah. No, um, I mean, your IT teams, they're, they're familiar with it. They're the ones that are going to make sure to protect the organization. But uh, yeah, no, not, not to, to put fear because fear then people have a tendency just to kind of close up and drop right. their head in the sand and they just go, we're just going to take our chances, put it all on red, put it all, you know, playing roulette right. in Vegas. They'll just take their chances and hope that they don't get hacked. Um, I had a great conversation last week with a, a gentleman that I met and we talked, he was a, a former FBI supervisor in charge and he created, he had worked on thousands of cases over the last 25 years. And now he's on his own doing presentations and he came up with a cyber victim profile. And it, and not only is it a victim profile, but I think it's an organization victim profile. And one of the things that came out of it that I, um, the term that I came up with is victimless mindset where people think and organizations think, we're not going to get attacked. Cyber criminals don't know about us. What do we have that cyber criminals want to steal? 
and use, you know, or encrypt us. No, we're just, yeah, we're not worrying about it, head in the sand. Um, and lo and behold, when the, the first thing that people always say when they have a cyber attack or lose their data, or whatever, is, is I can't believe it was me. I can't believe they got us. Why would they want us? You know, and essentially cyber criminals will take whatever they can get. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's not even about the information that they that they're after the information. It's just that they are holding that information hostage because it's important to the person that owns the business. Is that right? That's yeah. And that's part of it where the information is key. And especially if it's intellectual property or information you wouldn't want to show up on the local newspaper on the front cover or national newspaper. Um, but other times it's information relating to their employees or their customers. You know, they've got a responsibility to be able to protect it. And they, you know, unfortunately that doesn't end up happening and the information gets out there. But yeah, part of it is wanting to get the data back, getting it decrypted and hoping that the cyber criminals will delete it when you pay, if you pay. That sounds expensive. Very much so. Yeah. When the cyber criminals get into the organization, they know what they're doing. They do a little bit of recon. They go in and they they know who they're inside, that they look at um, profiles of the organization, how what was their profit and loss, you know, what they're looking at, you know, how much money they've got. And they're going after a percentage of that. They'll hit you up for 10%. Um, there was a school system down in uh, here in South Florida, probably heard Broward County. Um, got hit with a ransomware attack and the cyber criminals, and I've seen the text messages, the cyber criminals said, look, we've seen your operating expenses. You guys have, you know, like $400 million a year running through your system. We want 4 million of that. And they were like, look, we don't even have $400,000 to give you because all that money gets spent. We're a public school system. It's tax money. That's our operating expenses. That's not what we've got on the books. And the cyber criminals are like, we don't care. We know how much money is going through. We want a part of that because you can't take care of your network. That's the reasoning that they're going in there. That's crazy. And at that point, once you are held hostage, you really don't have a choice but to pay. Is that right? You have you have choices. A lot of the time people feel that their 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 arms are their hands are tied, that they can't Mm -hmm. do anything. You want you want to think ahead. You within your organizations, you want to have your IT teams working with your PR folks, your communications, your C-suite coming and your CFO coming together to say, okay, we need to come up with our playbooks for incident response. You know, whether we get hit with a phishing attack or we lose power or what happened at Facebook, somebody sends the wrong configuration around to the routers or we get hit with ransomware and our organization goes down. Are we going to pay? And you kind of have to make that decision ahead of time because the CEO is the one that's going to authorize having to dish out a million or 4 million or 10 million that we saw that happened with Colonial Pipeline and uh, the JBS Meatpacking Company. And so you have to have that collaboration. And if you coordinate ahead of time and go, we're not negotiating with terrorists because essentially that's what you're doing. Okay, if we're not going to pay them, what are our options? And so then you have to lay out the work of your backups. You know, making sure that your backups are isolated, they're protected, because one of the things cyber criminals love to do when they hit you with ransomware being in your system, they basically will go find your backups and they'll delete those. Um, So if you're using a third party system and there's a connection and they're able to find that, they'll go up and delete those backups as well, which is rather unfortunate. So it kind of goes back to making sure you've got offline backups or you've got them in the cloud or you've got them 
some way that, or you've got them behind another layer of authentication or another firewall that not everybody can get to, and it's a limited resource. So if you do get hit, then you can restore from the backups and you can tell the, the cyber criminals, you know, to go pound sand. Sorry, we're not paying you. That's what um, I believe it was Colonial. They actually paid. They dished out four and a half million dollars, got the decryption key back from the cyber criminals. But it, would took, it was taking too long to recover the systems. They said, we got our backups. We'll just start recovering for backups. So the four and a half million not only was to get the decryption key, but also so they wouldn't release the data. Mm-hmm. But they still found it a lot faster to recover from their own backups because they had them isolated and they were able to recover and get back up and running. So that's a decision that each organization has to make, depending on how much you're being hit up with a ransom, what kind of protections you have in place, what kind of re- recoveries you have. Also, whatever documentation you're going to have, don't have it on the network, have some offline copy because if they hit your files share and encrypt all that and you go, okay, let's go look at the incident response plan. <laughs> it's on the network. We can't get to it, you know. So it's always important to have a hard copy somewhere, uh, and certainly an offline copy as well. So that's that's kind of another thing a lot of people don't realize as well. Wow. Well, with that said, Sean, let me ask you: What is cybersecurity's role with ERP? Hmm. Well, it's sort of like taking the hardest possible thing you can imagine and making it like a million times harder, right? You get ERP and you get cybersecurity together and you're like, ah, I'm done. Um, <laughs> there's so much risk around ERP normally, right, with an implementation process. But even, even as the project is running and it's in a sort of a steady state, right, but if you think about enterprise resource planning, enterprise, so across the, the organization, um, resources, so those are things like customers, vendors, inventory, projects, whatever, bank accounts, planning. So we're, we're looking at sort of the, you know, how do, we, how do we utilize all of this stuff across the enterprise, these resources, the best in one system? Well, that's... That's like the cybersecurity, you know, these, these, these criminals, like the, 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 the crown jewel, if you really think about this, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not just information in an ERP about our accounting, right? Which is, you know, public companies, they certainly do financial statements that are released, um, but private companies don't release their financials. But they have information about their customers and their ERP. They have information about their vendors. They have information about their employees. I mean, we're not even talking about HR payroll systems now. That's a whole nother discussion, right? So the the value of the data in the ERP is is significant. So if you think about this is the, the, the business operating system that we can run an organization from anywhere from, you know, a couple million dollars in revenue to, you know, multiple billions, tens of billions, even, even, you know, larger systems. You think about the organizations like an Amazon running their HR systems, their ERP systems, right? Um, the reality is that we've got to make sure that these applications are secure. And they've, that's, that, that's nothing new by any means. Um, you know, having uh, a multi-factor authentication, you know, mandatory password changes, kind of, I think James being more of an expert, frankly, in this space than I am, I'd say those are more on sort of the user side, right? Making sure that the user's access is limited and we've got controls. But where it gets really interesting um, for a lot of our clients is on-premise versus cloud-based deployments of their ERP. 
So um, there are a lot of organizations that we talk to right now that are running legacy Microsoft products, the general, uh, the uh, Great Plains products, or, you know, even old versions of SAP, um, EBS, eBusiness, Oracle eBusiness Suite, or JD Edwards, right, or PeopleSoft, right? These were, there's a lot of organizations out there that are running their, their core ERP on-prem. And that means then not only do they have the responsibility to make sure that the ERP is working, but that it's also protected from a cybersecurity attack. And um, I'll talk a little bit later about this. One of our clients recently got hit. I'll tell you some of the things that they did. But it was really interesting to think about like, hmm, if they, if they were in the cloud, would this have um, impacted their ERP? And the answer is probably no. Because you think about the, the cloud providers um, actually, Larry Ellison, I listened to an interview with him um, and then he just read something else from, a, I think it was a company called Salonis, where it really made sense to me. And I'm sure that, that James, you see this a lot, that a human can't prevent the attacks that are happening to companies, to organizations, to their data. It has to be bots or programs, basically, that can keep up with the amount of hits that are coming in. And so when you look at in individual companies, uh, we had an organization in um, um, west, east, pardon me, of Denver that got hit. And I think about this organization, manufacturer, you know, they had good security in place and been running legacy systems for a while that were all on-prem and they got hit with cybersecurity and it took the business down for about a month and a half. What was that organization's ability to put in place bots and, you know, AI tools that are sensing, wait a minute, the network traffic's going up. Let's just preventatively shut down this part of the network. We can check it if then else, okay, turn it back on in milliseconds, right? What's that organization's ability to do that versus say, you know, Amazon Web Services or Azure for Microsoft or even Infor's cloud solution, right? You have specialists, you have teams of people, cybersecurity teams with these larger cloud providers that are thinking about anything that can possibly happen. You know, they're working with James and his company and others to say what's happening out there all the time. Whereas, you know, did our client have time to go talk to a cybersecurity expert about how they should have their, their IT system set up? Or were they worried about getting the next deal? So it's it's really, it's again, I remember last year, I can like putting myself back in the same like, ah, James, you're scaring the hell out of me, man. But it's really good, even again, for our business that we look at this, but we have to talk about these topics around ERP because there's so many other things going on around you know enterprise systems, but this is one area that I don't think is really well understood. So definitely looking forward to getting into it more here. Yes. Right. Um, well, James, um, I mentioned before, just with everyone working from home um, this past year and a half, um, can you talk about how the tactics and methods of hackers have changed and advanced over this last year and a half? And have these attacks gotten more frequent since more people are working from home? Yeah, it, ever since the pandemic hit last year, you know, Feb, March of 2020, one of the things that we noticed within the space with regarding to phishing attacks, and of course, phishing is the method that cyber criminals basically send out hundreds of thousands of emails out to as many email addresses that they have that will contain an email message that will have some sort of lure to it. I'm using some fishing, fun phishing terms here, but they'll have a lure in it that's an emotional base. Um, you know, if it, it may be something that relates to your account's been disabled on some social media or your password is expired or 
you know, it's something financially related, your, you know, your credit card's been suspended, those kind of things. And those are pretty general concepts. But basically, it's going to be some type of a phishing attack uh, to pull you in to get you to click on that link and essentially just see it react and click. And at the beginning, you know, beginning of last year, it was kind of business as normal. We were seeing them. Well, once March hit, we got April, we got May, there was a significant increase in the number of phishing attacks. It literally doubled um, within weeks um, of what it had been and kept basically kept going for the rest of the uh, the rest of the year. It's kind of taken a bit of a dive, gone down a little bit this year, but it's still going back up and it's still strong. And why do cyber criminals keep sending out all these phishing emails? It's because they work. People are like that low hanging fruit and know that they can be social engineered. Now, cyber criminals are stepping it up with regards to the phishing. Early on last year, it dealt with COVID. You know, here's the latest information from the WHO or from the White House. And people were like, oh, okay, because people were hungry. They were starving for information. And you were getting it from so many different sources last year, but they were so hungry for information, they were willing to take whatever they could get their hands on. So there was a lot of COVID-related things. Um, then it got into um, the uh, got into the vaccine and the development, and then contact tracing and who was getting it. And you know, one I remember seeing one phishing email that it had a spreadsheet that you had to open up, enable the macros, which is the code that's inside of Excel or Google Sheets enable the macro so that it would run code on your computer so you could see the list of all the people that had had COVID, which was just bogus to begin with. So they were using a lot of those tactics to get people to you know, fall victim to it. Then it was sending it into organizations and saying, hey, we're gonna, we've got a new COVID program. You know, Everybody's got to get vaccinated, whether you like that or you don't like that, but enough that you know, here's the link to fill out the form to get your vaccine verified or, or something. So, you know, they're constantly spinning the current events that are going on, whether it's hurricanes, natural disasters, um, the COVID, the pandemic, the election, you know, and looking at trying to use people's emotions to get them to click on the links. Um, and that's been the big one. And so, you know, people are working from home when they're at home, there's a additional level of stress and a different level of distractions. When you're in the office, You've got all your coworkers, you've got your little cube, you're, it's your quiet space, you're doing your work and your job throughout the day. It's great. When you're working from home, now I am extremely fortunate. Both of my daughters are grown up and they're off at university, so they're not here. My wife is at home, but she's you know doing other things around the house. I have my own little office and my little studio in here, so I'm very nicely isolated. But a lot of people ended up finding themselves working on the couch. They didn't have their homes set up to be able to work from home. So they then had to come in and sit at the dining room table, the kitchen table, the couch, the bed. You know, maybe they had another room they could use and set up. Um, but there's those distractions at home. There's the stress at home. I mean, I will admit, I got tons of distractions here at home. I got a beautiful big screen TV down the hall, which tons of movies and TV shows that I'd love to binge. And it's like, nope, got to sit here, do my work, you know, and then, then I can go watch TV. Right. Distractions, you know, for other people, distractions are going to be their kids, especially if they're, you know, young kids, kids in school, they're doing their online school. They get done. They want to hang out with mom and dad. You know, they want to interact. They want to do something. They don't want to sit in their room or watch. No, maybe they do want to watch TV, but there's those distractions. You got your pets at home. You know, the dog wants sees you at home. It's like, hey, take me out for a walk. 
you know, you got your cats looking at you going, what are you doing here? This is my house. <laughs> you know, so you've, you've got all these additional stressors and distractions going on. And then you're getting your email and you're trying to get through it. And because you want to close the lid and so you can go do dinner or go out for dinner or watch TV or whatever. And you have those additional stressors and distractors that are taking you away from looking at something and you see a weird email and you can't turn to your colleague and go, hey, did you see this email about the benefits change? You kind of go, what the heck is that? And you're like, all right, well, curiosity kicks in and you go, well, let me have a look at it. And you click on the link. And so a lot of folks have those stresses, have those distractions, and it just adds on to it, along with all the, the new phishing, plus all the new rules that society are throwing in. You know, it just adds on additional weight. And then people are like, great, now I got to do more security training. Okay, fine. Well, click, 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 next, 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 finish, take the quiz, done. All right, I don't have to worry about it. They may be aware of it, but it doesn't mean they care. And that may sound bad, but I think between the three of us, we all, and then, and everybody that's watching, we get in our cars every day and we go drive from point A to point B and the speed limit's going to say 45 miles an hour, but we're going to do 50 or 55. You know, we know the speed limit's 55, but I don't care because I want to get where I'm going and the person driving in the left lane is going too slow. Get out of my way. You know, we're aware what the speed limit is, but I don't worry about it because I know it's a risk that I'm taking that hopefully I won't get caught by the police and given a speeding ticket. But that kind of goes in the same thing with the security aspects. And Sean, you touched on something before I want to kind of revisit where you have people that have their on-prem systems for the ERPs and they go to the cloud because essentially what they're doing is they're outsourcing. But a lot of the times people then think when they go to the cloud where it's like Amazon or, or Azure or Google or whatever cloud service you're providing and they put their systems up there, they think they're secure. Yeah. It goes back to the back to the victim profile earlier, where the victimless mindset. Another concept is the silver bullet theory, where they think, I got a firewall, I'm secure. That was the problem back in the 2000s, 90s and 2000s. I had to configure my firewall? What the heck? Now it's like, we're going to put it in the cloud. We reduce a lot of our costs. We don't have to pay for air conditioning as much. We don't have to pay for the hardware. Now it's all up there and we're just paying one fee. Somebody's taking care of it. You're right. They're taking care of it to make sure that the, it stays on and operational. Sure. You then still have to secure your cloud services. Um, when you're working, you've got that shared um, responsibility that you have with those outsourcing companies that do provide an ERP service. They're going to make sure that the product is there. It's, it's operational. It's running. It's up to date. But you still have to make sure you're securing it with your users. You don't just let anybody from your organization access it. It's only the necessary people. And then also maybe you consider putting in some sort of multi-factor authentication to help secure it. Because if the cyber criminals get in there because they get in onto one of your users' computers, they just get into the cloud. It's just like as if it was on-prem as well. So you want to make sure that when you identify those critical assets, if your ERP system is one of those, and your that whole critical process is going to come from your processes, your IT folks, your C-suite. You know, if you lose your ERP system, are we waking up the CEO at three in the morning, or is it something that waits? So you have to figure out your priorities, the risk uh, level with that, and then securing it um, that's in the cloud. So using the cloud is great, MFA is great, but it's never just that silver bullet, the one thing that's going to take care of it. It's going to involve your technology, your people, and your processes all working together to help properly secure the environment. Thank so you. I'm off my soapbox. Me, 
Well, that leads me to my next. (laughs) That leads me to my next question, John. Can you talk about what you are seeing um, vendors implement into their offerings um, to increase security for their customers? Yeah, yeah, and again, I think kind of dovetailing off what James talked about, um, you know, multiple levels of authentication for sure. Which, you know, I don't like it. I, I really don't. Even like for our, we use Paylocity for, you know, human capital management system. And, you know, you got to you log in and then you got to get the code and you get the code and all that. But it's like, maybe it's not so bad. You know, what happens if somebody did get into my computer and there's a password and they log in, but then on my cell phone, I get a little thing saying, hey, what's that? It's the sixth code. I didn't ask for that. What is that? Right. Oh, God, something's going on right now. At least I have something to do. So definitely something as tactical as that. But but like I said also earlier, um, I've been really impressed with some of the vendors where they're um, kind of differentiating, you know, on their on their cloud offerings. So let's say if you take like a, a Salesforce, a Workday, um, NetSuite, you know, there's some applications that are written. Uh, pure cloud, multi-tenant software as a service. A, you know, you've got one virtual machine that's running multiple instances of the exact same code, right? From the database all the way to the top. Um, there's other deployments like Infor and Epicor and Microsoft, where there is an instance of the app. It's shared. It's in a shared environment, but it's more of a single stack solution. We can get into more details on that later. I always say that when we talk about cloud deployments, um, but. You know, there is there is a need to, to really understand what those architecture, what the, the specific cloud deployment is for you. It is important. It's again, to James' point, you know, if we have just our app just runs in the cloud. Well, yeah, the heating, the cooling, the on and off switch is working and all that. But what are we doing for security there? So there are some pre-built um, things, like I said, multiple authentication methods but the security also depends on the deployment is what I'm trying to say. So, um, you know, I don't want to get into too many specifics, but we did have uh, one of our software vendors that we've worked with in the past did get hit with a cybersecurity attack last year, and it brought down thousands of customers' instances of their core, you know, things like financials. They couldn't cut a check or they couldn't, you know, do their business basically, um, and, you know, in that instance, as I sort of dug down the covers and, you know, you, it's always hard to know exactly what happens. I think people like James know a lot more than the rest of us, but it looked like the data center itself had gotten hit. And somehow the hackers were able to get in through the data center into this specific instance. I mean, but again, I don't know what the real facts are. So what I'm trying to say is, and I guess it just is relates back to James that, you know, oh, great. I don't have to worry about it. It's in the cloud. Don't be that naive. I'm going to just say it. You really do need to understand. And even, even as I'm thinking about it, when we're doing selections and we do, we like beat up the vendor on the architecture and the technology platform. And we always ask for their internal controls reports, you know, like the SSAE 16, the SOC 1, SOC 2 reports which are all good. I mean, I read them. I don't think anybody else reads them, but um, are from our client side, but okay, check. They've got the report. But when was the last outage? When was the last attack? And the vendors aren't going to want to talk about it. Don't forget that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, we didn't, we don't have any, says the salesperson who's trying to get you to sign the contract. I understand. I'm going to ask your boss that question, right? And I'm going to ask until somebody can tell me that what, what what's really happening. Because there is, if you can imagine, 
you know, these, these cybersecurity criminals, they are terrorists. That's, that's exactly what it is. But they're smart terrorists, right? So, so they know that from an ERP standpoint, imagine the, the, the feather, is it the feather in the quill or the quill in the, you know, the, the, the accomplishment that a, a cybersecurity criminal would have on bringing down Oracle, right? SAP's public cloud goes down, right? So these guys are getting hit all the time. And, you know, do we know about when systems really go down or not? Sometimes we may not, but it is really worthwhile to talk to your software vendor about these situations. And like I said, don't just talk to the salesperson who tells you what you want to hear, you know, ask to talk to the technology center of excellence or to their cybersecurity specialists and get the data for yourself on what they're doing. So at least, you know, at least you have some idea. Then I think to James' point too, you know, having that discussion internally through the organization to understand, okay, if they're doing this piece in the cloud, what else is there? Can a user go in through our machine and go into the system? Make sure multi, multi-factor authentication is turned on, password protection, all this stuff that needs to be on needs to happen too. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like I can't even think of any jokes on this call. That's not normal <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, like I, I think I do. I think all of our consultants, when we're working with new clients or clients looking at new software, we have to take an increased responsibility. But I also think our clients do too, to really understand what the risks are and, and do something about it. Don't, don't just, the, the doing this can't be hope alone. Um, we do have to do more things too, just to see what are the real risks that we have for our group. Right, yeah. Um, it's interesting, you talk about at the beginning where you started talking there, Sean, about getting the code. Um, one of the important things to consider is, especially within your organization for your employees, is if you're going to do the two-factor authentication, the multi-factor authentication, for your two-factor, you want to use an application to generate the code. You don't want to have it sent to a cell phone. It's strong, but it's it, it's good, but it's not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the better one to have is where you have an application system like Google Authenticator, Authy, Microsoft. Um, what's the other one? There's another one. But that generates a code for you that can at least still be saved. So that way, every person has their code on their phone because there's been too many attacks and issues where uh, through SIM jacking or through tech, people being able to gain access to text messages and get that kind of information or even through email, it's a lot better when the code is generated and you have to have the phone with you and look at it. And you talk about, okay, all right, I got to get the code. I got to go through. I got to do this. It's such a pain. Oh my gosh. I kind of take a step back and, and you did the same thing. You kind of go, okay, but this is a good thing. I'll take a couple extra seconds or shoot, my phone's over there. I got to go up, go get it, come open up the app and everything else. But we think about it. Let's flash back. And I think, Sean, you're kind of in my age bracket here where we go, Back when we were kids and you got in the car, nobody was wearing seatbelts in the back or we were in the station wagon or the back of the pickup truck and we were just bouncing around. Now it would be, you know, you'd be chastised to the ends of the earth if you let your kids sit in the back seat without a seatbelt. But it's those behaviors. It's that nature that society has gotten to where, nope, you get in the car, you got to wear your seatbelt. 
And so that's kind of the same thing. We're going to get our own culture and society to that point. We're not going to like it, you know, because I'm sure some of us still get in the car and go, all right, I'll put on my seatbelt. Um, but that same notion of, okay, well, let me get my phone. At no before when I log in, I have to username, password, and I have to put in my, um, my code from my authenticator uh, app when I'm logging in. It's just part of the motion of going through. I've gotten used to it, uh, you know, being in security for as long as I have, but you're used to that and you accepting of it. And, it, and again, it's going to be one of those things that, because people are, are lazy, we're creatures of habit and we're social yeah. and that creatures of habit where we like doing the same thing day in and day out. And when something changes and we've got to adapt to it, it's just like, oh, you know, we just don't want to have to deal with that. Or we'll find a loophole and figure out a way around it. And it's when people find that loophole and a way around it that mistakes happen. Um, that's why we see so many data leaks with regards to cloud instances and so forth. You got a developer that goes, I'm not waiting on IT. It takes them two weeks for them to get my server ready. I'm just going to go jump in the cloud right now and put it there. They don't understand the security concepts. They just do it. And next thing you know, they're on the front page news because some security researcher found the database of all the credit cards, usernames, passwords, and, and everything else. Right. God. Well, it seems like the inconvenience is well worth it in the end, right? Exactly. That's, that's kind of usually the afterthought, but yes, that's what we, that's what I tell everyone. It's like, look, yeah, I know it's going to take a couple more seconds. It's even with like with password managers and that's a whole other hour of talking, but with password managers, you know, people are like, Oh, but I don't have time to put everything in there. Well, you don't have to do it at once. You know, it's, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. <laughs> Same thing with your passwords. You just put one entry in at a time and over a couple months, you'll get them all in there. It works really well. Sean, I'm going to help you out here, buddy. Um, you guys know I've been in security a long time. I don't know if you realize, but I actually was able to hack into Forrest Gump's computer. I was able to guess his password. It was one Forrest one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. When Thank James you. makes a joke, everybody goes, oh, right? Can I laugh? Oh, yeah. yeah no, there's, there's, I love it. I um, love it. I got plenty more, too. So I bet. We'll, oh, God. We'll I sprinkle bet. them out for the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the half hour. I'm like, oh, no. Do we have a laptop called Forrest Gump? Check it out. It's so funny. I think I'm probably a little bit more on notice with this, too, because we we have a, a, a client, good-sized client. They've got about a billion dollars of of uh, revenue amongst multiple entities that they run and they're, they're private equity backed and they buy and they sell they get a lot of motion going on and they got hit with the cybersecurity hit uh, with the cybersecurity attack. And, um, and it was interesting because the, the VP of security and IT and I were, were just chatting about this. And I said, I got this call. What can I tell people? Right. And there were, there were two key things that he said that they've got an endpoint protection platform in place and I can quickly get out of my sort of area of expertise here, but he said, basically having solutions that can detect unusual actions on your network and shut things down, right? Shut down different points yep. so that you're basically kind of segmenting and partitioning out the data that can be impacted. He said that was a big thing. And then interestingly, part of being the, uh, with the private equity group that they're a part of, they actually had an incident response company. Good. They were able to access right away, right? Um, the other client I mentioned earlier wasn't part of a larger multinational organization. Um, and they reached out to a company locally in Denver and were able to get some help. But, you know, fortunately, that organization had time and, and bandwidth to be able to come in and help them with that right away. So 
So, I mean, I think I think those are a couple of things. The right, the right network security monitoring kind of systems and platforms in place for sure. Um, you know, knowing who to call if there is a problem, you know, these are all the reactive solutions. But I still think in the market, again, not being the expert in this area, but you know, I think what you guys do at Know Before makes the most sense to me, which is proactive training of people like me or Erica or Juliet or whoever, where you know we're not cybersecurity specialists. And maybe we do click on that, oh, what happened with the election? Or oh, wait, you know, how do I know the difference between these emails? And man, I zoomed through my emails so fast. So I do think that that you know training the behaviors of, of individuals to be more informed just makes a ton of sense. And I know you guys really have mastered that market. So it's really well done. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I'm I'm now going around talking about, you know, organizations want me to come and present, come and talk to us about security awareness. And now when I go in, I'm just touching upon security awareness. But what I focus more on, and you you touched upon it there, Sean, was the behaviors. You know, we have these bad habits. We've had, and I say they're bad habits because they get us into trouble, but these are habits that people have just developed over the years when it comes to email because there was never really any formal training. It was just like, here's your email account, off you go. And you're like, ooh, you know, there's a, a there's a sale here for iPads, 85% off. Okay, yes, please, click. Right. And then a week later, your machine is no longer able to be used because it's infected with malware and it's problematic. People just didn't get that training. I... I worked at a Dell tech uh, for Dell for a number of years and their call center at the help desk. Mm-hmm. I think every IT person, and I'm going to get people to come at me for this, but I think every IT person or cybersecurity person has to work at a help desk at least for six months because it, it just it grows your troubleshooting skills, your customer service skills, nice. you know, makes you aware of what customers or your users are really like. You know, you've got people that are savvy, they're on it, they're tech. They have an understanding of tech as well as what they're doing in their own careers. And then you have people that just have no clue. They're just clicking on everything. And those are the people that we have to work towards changing those behaviors and focusing on that. And now you get into a little bit of psychology. It's like, okay, how do I get people to change behaviors? You know, it's not like you could sit there with a policy and go, thou shalt not click on every link. Right. You know, and then you could, you know, when that enforce that policy and say, okay, well, you clicked on the link seven times this month, you had the training, are you just not getting it? Are you or are you just not care? And if you don't care, well, then you're not caring about the security of the organization, you're not caring about the organization. So let's part ways. You know, that kind of scenario is kind of the things that organizations have to think about. And I was having a conversation with a customer the other day or an organization the other day, and they were going, yeah, we just got people that click on links. They just don't care. And I'm like, what does your policy say? Mm-hmm. We don't have one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the first thing. You got to get with HR. You got to get with the chief operating officer. You got to get with IT and InfoSec and go, okay, what is our policy going to be when people are clicking on links? You know, we got to take away the machine for a couple of days to re-image it. Okay. Loss of productivity. Then they got to go through some more training and then we give them some more assessments. And if they're not picking it up and we go through the process with them, then, you know, we have to, we kind of have to separate in part ways because you're not taking the organization into consideration and protecting it. Because in my opinion, everybody that has an email address for an organization holds the keys to the front door. And I'm talking about that is in the electronic front door. But when you think about your own office building, you might have a security guard if you're in a shared building or if you have your own organization building. 
you've probably got a security guard there. Well, consider the security guard as your firewall, as your secure, as your gateway server that's protecting and stopping all the crap coming in. Well, they can't sometimes stop everything. You know, a lot of the technology out there is going to stop about 90% of the spam and phishing emails coming in. That's out of the millions to billions of emails that come in through these systems every day. Right. So the security guard's going to stop a lot of that, but you're still going to get folks that end up coming through. Well, you as the uh, employee of the organization have that responsibility and your security team should be able to empower you in saying, look, if you see somebody that's not wearing a badge, you stop them and walk them over to security. Even if it's an employee and they don't have their badge and you don't recognize them and don't know they work there, walk them on over to security, feel empowered, they can do it. Then you give them some swag and go, hey, thanks very much. <laughs> when you have email, you have a, a, the, essentially the electronic keys to the front door, because when you click on one of those links that lets that connects to a, um, you know, from a phishing email that connects to the bad guy, the cyber criminals servers, they now have a connection into your machine. You've essentially opened up the front door, let the bad guys in. It's a lot easier to hack the human than it is to hack the technology. And they'll just come in on your system and you won't even see them walk in the front door because it's electronic and they're invisible. And a lot of folks don't realize that. It, granted, it kind of when people do realize it, they get a little freaked out. They're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to. I'm never clicking on a link again. Cool. Great. Right. <laughs> perfect. However, it comes down to am I expecting the email? Is it somebody I know? Um, are they asking me to do something very quickly using fear, using some type of urgency, you know, or is it a conversation they're trying to start up? So a lot of it comes down to asking yourself a couple of questions and, and just kind of taking that extra moment with the email where if it's something that's like, you know, 85% off new iPads or, you know, changing new benefits, click on the link. Well, then check with somebody. You want to do that trust and verify aspect. Both, you want to trust it. As humans, we're trusting people for the most part. You know, we, we meet people, we trusting of them, build up, a, have a conversation with them for, you know, a couple of times and you completely trust them. And then they go, here, check out these new pictures of me on the slopes in Denver. And you click on it and it's a, a phishing attempt. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, folks have to realize that they are holding the keys to the front electronic front door. The security guard is going to stop a lot of it, but that people process and technology working together comes into play again. And folks have to be aware that, you know, your email is essentially a front door. So you want to make sure you're protecting it. You know, and it's not even just the employees, right? And in, in our space, when I think about ERP projects, you can have a vendor, like we have, we have one, yeah. four we're going to work with on an implementation and they have 60 employees that are all going to have access to basically the key to the castle, right? Or key to the front door, like you said. So that's another thing to keep in mind. It's not just your people. It's also contractors and other folks that are in there, which are, there's a lot of people crawling around on ERP projects. And having a look at monitoring that access as well, who's getting in and when, and if you've got contractors coming in, if they've been hired as contractors to work, well then, okay, then, you know, maybe we put a little extra monitoring on them because they're not, but then even then your own employees could be just as worse you know, your contractors might be better versus your employees. And so yeah. you got to have monitoring systems in there, know who's monitoring, you know, have rules set up. So you're checking the logs to see any unusual activity. Somebody log in at 2 a.m., you know, unless they're really night owls, you know, those early morning ones, you know, make sure you're checking those after hour ones, folks logging in, trying to do something, because usually that's when the, um, badness is happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that reminds me too, another client of ours recently was able to sort of thwart off a, an attack. And the way that they think that the, 
the code got basically installed behind the firewall was through a contractor's machine. Mm -hmm. And they, they couldn't tell because they were using admin at blah, blah, blah.com. So, you know, sharing user IDs or email addresses, like you're saying, is a no-no. And it does happen in ERP because, oh, we want to save a little money and not buy it. Well, okay, fine. But then you don't know who that, who that, Who's that, logging that in. specific user was. So yep. good point. It's a trade-off. It's a trade-off on your security. And, and, that, and again, a lot of the times your CISO or your CEO is taking a lot more risk than you might think they're comfortable with, but that's what their jobs are. They're there to take on that risk. And, and it's, if something goes wrong, it's on you. And you know, what's that? Then they're looking at, okay, well, what's the likelihood? How often does this really happen? It's part of the whole ER, you know, your enterprise risk platform. So it's all about risk anyway. So, you know, sometimes they're willing to take it on a lot more than what we're comfortable with. Yeah. My gosh. Well, you know, we're coming to the end of our time, but I have one more quick question for you, James. I know it's gone so fast. Um, you mentioned, previ- you mentioned previously about employees going through training and just being bored with it and clicking through, doing the quizzes, and really not paying much attention to it. In our research, we have found that employees are getting bogged down by the cybersecurity practices and training. What advice can you offer to companies trying to successfully train their employees on cybersecurity and help them with compliance? Um, walk around with a big stick. <laughs> No, um, that, works. <laughs> that you know, you know, worked for the nuns when I was in school. Um, a lot of the time, <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah, people get down, bogged down with the training. So you have to make your training not just a once a year thing. You want to make sure you've got other elements that are engaging, that are interactive, that are fun. <laughs> I know security and fun. It does happen. It, it can happen. Trust me. But having different ways to help support what it is that they're learning. So whether there's posters around, whether there's stickers given out, whether if somebody catches or spots a phishing and reports it in and it's an actual mm-hmm. phishing, they get a nice email. They get a, a recognition that's, you know, in the lo- in the organization's email. Um, I have a friend of mine who works at a law firm. So he works with lawyers. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. But what he does is he does a competition with the lawyers. Whoever reports the most phishing, real and or fake ones, because they'll do the simulated ones as well. Whoever spots and reports the most phishing attacks in a month gets their name at the board. And they have a top 10 board. They get their name at the top and they get like a $50 gift card for Starbucks. Nice. I kid you not, they could care two hoots about the Starbucks gift card. They want their name at the top of the list. <laughs> and within the lawyers, they're all competing. And so, hey, they'll, they'll come into his office and go, hey, where am I on the standings? Okay, all right. Well, send some more out so I can get up higher. You know, <laughs> so they get engaged with it. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's where you're, you're, you're seeing the signs of, you know, it's a lot more important than what they know. It's what they do. And so, you know, it's taking the lessons that you've got and working on those behaviors. And sometimes as an organization, there's a lot of different behaviors you need to change. We've got to look at passwords. We've got to look at phishing. We've got to look at badges. We've got to look at, you know, physical security, you know, making sure people are categorizing data properly reporting incidents. And so all these behaviors, you can't boil the ocean all at once. You want to focus on one or two behaviors that the organization's culture can take on. And you focus on those and you work on those for a quarter, half year, or even a full year, depending on how much change has to happen. Uh, Like phishing is not some, you know, spotting phishing attacks is not something that happens overnight. You have to work at it for at least a year to get it down to a controllable level. And then even then you want to keep working on it to keep people apprised 
on the latest attacks. That victim profile I talked about, one of the other aspects is people aren't aware of the latest scams. You know, we, we train folks to be looking out for links and emails, asking you to be urgent, and it's a brand new email. Well, now the cyber criminals are throwing in RE with the subject line or FW, so reply or forward. Sometimes it's just a note that says, hey, can um, I'm about to go into a meeting. You can't call me, but I need you to reply. Let me know. I have a question for you. Right. So the person replies, and it, it'll come from the this, this CEO. Mm-hmm. And you reply back, and they start a rapport or communication with you, like two or three emails. And then they hit you with, okay, can you check out this link or can you look at this thing? Um, that's where we're seeing a lot of the scams as well. So, you know, it's having to be aware of the latest scams, but looking at the culture of your organization, what kind of behaviors you want to change and focus on those. You're still going to do the training. You want to keep it frequent, but mix it up, do different training programs, you know, whether they do that once a year, 45 minute training program or 30 minute one, but then throughout the year, do a 15 minute one. If you can may not need a quiz, but it could be like a lunch and learn you could do in the organization, depending on the size that you have. It could be videos. You, If you've got folks that are very creative or depending on your organization, have somebody that can make videos for you, you know, and they can be cheesy, you know, because when people find the humor or laugh at something or react to it, there's an emotional state that goes along with it. And then they have a trigger that allows them to remember it. So, cause I think a lot of your folks are going to, um, that are watching this are going to remember this or remember me because of the bad jokes that I tell, like what does an air conditioner and a computer have in common? They're right. both what? useless when you open windows. <laughs> I am a Mac guy. I love that. I'm a Mac guy too. All right? That one's for all my Mac friends that are out there. Yeah, that's right. That's good. That's great. Oh my gosh. James, you are such a wealth of knowledge. So much important information. Sean, thank you for sharing your experience and expertise with us. And I think I said this the last time we had our call, James, like this could go on forever. (laughs) And we're all terrified now. Like we're going to also change our password. We're going to do secondary That's right. It worked. <laughs> well, my, my, my feeling is, is I hate the fact that we and we have just one month of the year. This should be a year-round thing. Uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month is great. I love it. It's my busiest time of the year. Yeah. But this needs to be an all-year-round thing. Um, That's true. You know, I don't. We don't need cybersecurity awareness. We do, but we don't. Um, sorry, not sorry, but. Um, you know, if this could be a year round thing, that would be great. People keep security top of their mind. It'll make organizations a lot more secure and safer. And if you can take care of the social engineering, the phishing attacks and that kind of stuff, that'll get rid of a lot of the problems in organizations. Yeah, makes sense. Well, thank you both for your time. I appreciate it. And um, you are welcome back anytime, James. We'd love to have you. In October. (laughs) <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Pull me, pull me back in uh, the beginning of the new year when we'll talk about tax scams. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yes. so, my gosh. All right. Well, thanks again. And thank you to everyone for joining us for today's webinar. Um, let us know if we um, can answer any questions, if we can help in any way, reach out to us. And if you have any questions for James, we're happy to pass them along to him as well. So please join us for our next call. It's scheduled for Thursday, November 11th, Digital Transformation for E-Commerce Businesses. We will discuss recent e-commerce selections and implementations. Please go to our website, erpadvisorsgroup.com, for more details and to register. Thanks again for joining us today. Take care, everybody. Thank you. 
ERP Advisors Group is one of the country's top independent enterprise software consulting firms, advising mid to large sized businesses on selecting and implementing business applications, including ERP, CRM, HCM, business intelligence, and other enterprise applications, which equate to millions of dollars in software deals each year across many industries. This has been the ERP Advisor.